Recovery On Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation. Candid discussion about addiction and recovery with the people who have lived it, along with input from experts on the journey from struggle to triumph. Laugh, cry, and be inspired. And now, your host for Recovery On Air, Donna Alexander. Welcome to Recovery On Air, the show in which we work to break the stigma of addiction by talking about it. I'm your host, Don Alexander. And today in our studio, we have Damian Browning. He is actually from Cottonwood, Arizona, and he has quite a program that he's got started out there. He is the CEO of Steps House Recovery. Is that correct, Damian? Steps to Recovery. Steps to Recovery. Welcome to the show. So... As most of you know, what we like to do first on this show is Damien does have a story of recovery. So we're going to hear some of his story because we share experience, strength, and hope on this show. So this is going to give everybody another piece of that hope that we work so hard to try to get out there to the public. Um, He has a good story and he has an even better thing that he's doing right now to help others who want to be in recovery. So Damien, tell us some about your story. Like, how did it all start? Um, okay. Well, first, thanks for having me on here, Donna. Um, yeah, so let's see, I was I was born. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my, my, my parents, so a little bit of my story is my parents were, uh, were addicts themselves and um, you know, they really couldn't uh, take care of me at the time. So uh, at an early age, my, my grandma raised me, my grandma, and my grandpa. And uh, I was raised in Joshua Tree, California. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, my grandma um, just re- actually my grandma and my grandfather in the last couple of years have recently passed. Um, but they were, they were like, you know, they were like my parents and my grandma was a school teacher. And, uh, you know, I never really felt okay with myself. Um, one, one of the things is my grandma and grandpa were in recovery too. So, oh, they, so they were addicts or alcoholics also. Yeah. And they were, but they were in the recovery phase. No. Yeah, for sure. When, when I, when I raised them. So when, when they passed away recently, they had over 40 years in, in, oh, that's uh, fantastic. in the alcoholics anonymous fellowship. So nice. Yeah. So I was raised around, you know, going up through my teenagers years and stuff, you know, around meetings, um, taking the Alateen, all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I really wasn't ever totally okay with myself. I always felt different. I always felt, you know, like, and I didn't really know at the time what I was going through. I mean, looking back and going through some step process and, and, and the recovery process, I realized that, you know, some things that I didn't know then that, um, you know, I felt unworthy. I felt Mm -hmm. unlovable. You know, my parents weren't around all the time. My dad wasn't around. Um, so I felt like, well, if my parents don't love me, you know, but I didn't know that. I just knew that I didn't feel, um, I walked kind of weird. You know, I had a lisp. Uh, people made fun of me, called me like Lamy and Damien and stuff. So I was fighting a lot. Um, I remember, you know, some of my earliest addictions were attention for sure. Right. You know, um, when, as I grew up, I, I think one of my first, my second addictions was stealing. Um, I uh, remember being, a, being young and, um, stealing from pick and save and I, I, I stole some uh, whistle pops and I brought the whistle pops to school and people thought it was cool because I had whistle pops 
you know, and I would I would sell the whistle pops and I'd get some money. I'd go buy some baseball cards. Um, but there's been, you know, we all have, there's so much, you know, and I don't know a lot about my, I don't remember like a lot, lot about my childhood, but I remember that I always tried to fit in. I always tried to, you know, be somebody else. I always, right. there was this whole fantasy thing. I would like play football with myself and I thought I would act like I was Joe Montana or Jerry right. Rice or whatever, you know. <laughs> And I always just really wasn't okay with myself looking back on it, you know. And I think about 12 years old, uh, I had my first uh, drink of alcohol. And I remember thinking at that time that um, all of a sudden I was okay with me. I, all of a sudden I was like, you know, um, I was able to talk to girls. I was able to, I didn't care what people said about me, you know. So it was kind of on from that time. And I mean, I don't want to go into, I don't really like, actually, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of weird sharing my story over the years, but um I don't like going to a big drug log, but all I know is that feeling, you know, I looked for. And I think I continued to stay high every day for 19 years after that. Now, was it just alcohol? No, it, 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 it at first, at first it was alcohol and uh, then it went into weed. And then really soon after that, it was like whatever yeah. would make me feel better and that you had. That's you exactly know? what I say. It didn't matter to me what it was as long as it changed the way I felt. Yeah, it's weird because I remember I would I used to tell my my grandparents <laughs> I used to tell on my brother because my brother was smoking marijuana. I thought marijuana was really bad, even though I was drinking. You know, and, <laughs> uh, I remember him and my and him one of, one of his friends, Damien, actually took me in the back and they they gaffled me up and they got me high on marijuana. And I remember thinking, man, I was like, this is even better. Yeah, I've been you know, missing like, out. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, and then it just went on. I mean, being in Josh Tree, Arizona wasn't like, you know, there's not a lot to do. You know, I used to climb uh, rocks and uh, and use. I mean, we would just use and we'd run around and uh, skate a little bit and, uh, you know, use. And I started using whatever there was there, you know, um, uh, crank at the time or meth or it was crank at the time. But mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I would use, I would do Jimson weed. I would do. What's uh, Jimson weed? Well, it's, I don't want. It's it's a natural weed that grows, and it's really actually the Native Americans use it, and they they break open the pot and they put it in a tea. But I just, you know, me and my friends just uh, you know took all the seeds and used it, and it, it get it, you hallucinate on. It. It's actually oh, very dangerous. Wow, it's actually a very dangerous thing. Well, most my, my of friend the drugs almost, we do is so. well, yeah. My friend, <laughs> I I was really worried. The friend I did it with a couple times, you know, he didn't. I didn't think he was gonna come back down. But I've heard of people losing their eyesight, their hearing. Oh over wow. It. It's pretty, yeah. So, and I've never heard of it. And it that's but, probably a good thing because I probably would have used it. Right. <laughs> well, it was free and it was on the side yeah. of the road. So <laughs> that's I mean, true. But that's really where it went to is like whatever got me high, I would I would use. You know, um, got into acid. Uh, you know, and then I mean, going through school, I was really always a pretty good student, and it just started slipping away. You know, I remember I got kicked out of uh, two high schools. Uh, one of them, the first one I got expelled from was for selling marijuana to somebody. And um, so then I went and my dad came back into my life at that time. And he was living in Ventura and he had a beach house. And, you know, I went down because I want to change. So I went down there and I lived in Ventura. And then he, he had a construction uh, place in a cabin up at Big Bear. So we, we moved up to Big Bear and I went to school there. And then uh, they caught me there for selling a bunch of stuff. So they... Then I hitchhiked. I took off hitchhiking. Just you know, just a, a lot of a lot of things we all do. You know, I took off trying to find myself, and you know, I don't know, hitchhiked <laughs> to Oregon and 
on the side. So much stuff has happened, you know. And um, I remember when I turned 18, I, I stopped stealing. I remember thinking, man, because I've been arrested quite a few times, but I always got out of trouble. You know, my grandma always come and bailed me out. And she was a school teacher and she knew everybody. And um, I remember I stopped stealing. I was really trying to put my life together. And I, I remember my grandma moved over here. My grandma and grandfather moved over to Cornville, Arizona. Cornville, yep. Yep. And um, I thought, well, I'll move to Cornville. You know what I mean? So I graduated. I actually went back into a continuation school, which was called Sky High School. And there's no irony in that. Right? <laughs> and I, I got my diploma, uh, graduated in a grateful a Buffalo Dead T-shirt. And There uh, you go. You know. So I, I moved to, to Cornville with my grandparents thinking, because there was, you know, I would come out here. And it was funny because, you know, a lot of things come up in recovery when I when I got clean, a lot of memories start coming up. And I remember coming over to uh, Cornville, Arizona. We would travel with my grandma in the summers. And I'd come over to Arizona, and there was a river here. And on the way over, she always listened to speaker CDs. Alcoholics oh, yeah. and speaker CDs. Yeah. Was, or there were tapes at the time. Right. They weren't, they weren't right. CDs. There were tapes. Yep. <laughs> but we'd always listen to those. And I really liked those, you know. But I had no idea what was going on. You know, I had no idea that eventually I would be, you know. On the tape? Yeah, <laughs> or some tapes, yeah. <laughs> so we would come, I would come over here and there was, you know, there was a little river in Cornville. She lived on, they bought a property on Oak Creek and uh, it was really nice. There were things to do and I thought, you know, I need some change in my life. So um, I moved over here to Cornville, Arizona. I know I skipped a bunch of stuff, but I just can't, you know, I know I moved out. My, my dad and I, I had a falling out. My mom was in my life, but she was always, um, you know, around and I would love going seeing her but I started that was another thing I started using with my mom and my dad and I thought that was the coolest thing ever right. you know um my mom taught me how to grow marijuana and uh started using with her and I'd bring my friends over there and I thought it was so cool and looking back on it like I remember being in addiction and just being like oh yeah if my kids ever use they're gonna use at home and what a dysfunctional you know what I mean like looking back right? on it wow um but at the time, what it was is I had that acceptance. I finally had that acceptance in my parents' life. So right, I felt good, you know. And uh, But anyways, so we, I moved over to Cornville. And uh, the same thing, you know, I found the same people. I found the same people and I started getting high and uh, started working at Pizza Hut. And, you know, we're usually really creative and really good workers. So I, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, you know, I got, I'm opening the store and I'm going in there and I'm bringing my friends in at night and I'm doing all this stuff and... Um, you know, it just evolved. And, and finally, I, my, my brother actually got me a job, uh, in masonry and, uh, as a hod carrier up in Sedona. So I started working in masonry and that just, you know, as, as we go on the progression of the, of the disease, the progression of my using just got worse and worse. And at the end of it, I mean, so in 2000, I think 2001, um, at this time I'm, you know, I can't hold a job. I'm a Mason by trade and I'm really good at my trade, but I mean, everybody's telling me, Hey Damien, you know, you can't, we can't hire you. You're stealing from us. You're getting our employees high. You come in when you want, you leave when you want. You know, um, I had, I was married and I had, uh, two children. When I got with my ex-wife, one of my ex-wives, uh, she actually had a son. And then I had three children with her. We had two children and she was pregnant and we were living, um, I forget where we were living, but I got in a, I got in a really bad tra traffic accident. And um, I know at that time I was really trying to stay clean. Like there was, 
the last four or five years of my using, I really, there was times where, you know, I really wanted to be clean and I just, I would try. The problem is it was all my own devices. Like right. I was going to do it this way or that way, or I was going to, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, use a different substance or not hang out with a different person. And, and it's funny because like looking back on it, it was always that only if this happens. Like, I always felt like I was a victim. Like, you know, I always got the short end of the stick. And if they would just leave me alone or if I just got the right job or the right girl or the right, you know, Caucasian of, you know, compilation of drugs that I could use or the right mixture, you know, that my whole life could, could change. And the problem was I was trying to change it with my thinking. You right. Know? Isn't it funny how in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, all of those things that you just said and how we say, I'm just going to drink on the weekends or I'm just going to drink beer or if they would do this or that, it lays it out right there in the book. Yeah. You know, exactly like what you're talking about. So we're not the first people who felt that way for sure. No. And, uh, and I love the big book and, and I'm not going to, you know, say I've, I've went through the steps in multiple pro programs and mm -hmm. there's a lot of us in those literature. Yes. I mean, um, I'm more of a narcotics anonymous guy, mm -hmm. but I don't know. Uh, you know, that literature really speaks to me. Absolutely. Why? I mean, there's a lot more, but you know, we're in there and that's what's, that's the common bond of recovery, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've all been there. Now I, I probably, I come into the rooms and I'm like, oh, maybe I won't hang out. I don't even, wouldn't even talk to these people, but we all have a common bonds with addiction and with recovery. Right. Um, so anyways, I, you know, at 2001, I, I, I'm trying to stay clean and all this. Um, and I go and I'm, I'm, I go somewhere and I actually, a lady pulled out in front of me and, um, she ended up dying. So, Yikes. um, 2001, I was, I'm on the side of the road and, uh, they kept me there for five hours and um tried to give me a citation i did they did f 10 field sobriety tests um you know didn't give me a citation i talked my way out of everything i got my attorney that i didn't have on the phone and you know we're real we're real good we're master manipulators right you know yeah. and i got they didn't give me a citation they let me go and one of the things that happened after that is i was already using a lot but I really, really self-medicated after that. I didn't go get counseling or all the stuff that I should have done. I just started using more to drown the feelings. Right. Because somebody had died. Right. And, and I've always been a really good person, you know. Um, right. At that time, I, I was doing, I was back to stealing. I was doing some other stuff. I mean, you know, uh, fast forward a little bit. I think 2000, uh, 2003, 2003, November 2003, we're... We're at a point where I have three children, my wife is pregnant, and we're down to, I can't hold a job. Um, I'm getting high constantly. I'm not coming home at night a lot of times or sometimes weeks uh, at a time. We are down to living in Patio Park in Corn or Clarkdale, Arizona, which mm -hmm. is, um, we had a studio apartment. Um, I think we had one car at that time. I had like three or four cars. I was actually, I did pretty good for myself and it just went downhill. We were at one car with one window. The rest were bashed out from us trying to get at each other. I was hitting my head. I was hitting myself with a mag light on a weekly basis. Um, there was roaches crawling all over my children. When I would come home, I would come home with stolen cars. I would come home with stolen stuff. I would come home with meth. I would get my pregnant wife high. 
because I didn't know what else to do. Um, it was pretty horrible. Yep. We had three dogs, uh, three kids. Um, it was just, it was, it was a mess and I didn't know. And I kept trying to stay clean. I couldn't stay clean. And, uh, I was miserable. Right. I was miserable. And I wanted to, I didn't want to, I never had, you know, hit my wife or anything like that. I wasn't like that. So I would hit myself. Right. I didn't know what to do. Uh, all of the, the progression of it, the last three or four houses I had, they all had holes in the walls for me trying to get at something. And looking back, I was trying to get at me. Mm-hmm. You know, I would get so mad because my life was just so messed up. So I would just bust holes in all the, all the walls. You know, I bust holes. I mean, I remember taking a whole dresser and just taking a sledgehammer and just tearing it apart. I, I've thrown couches. I mean, it was it was horrible. Um, and I would lie about it all. I'd go to work, you know, when I could, and I would have, you know, black eye or something. I'd be like, yeah, I got in a fight, blah, blah, blah. But it, really, I was beating myself. You know, that's, that's, and I would say I was not afraid of anything. I was scared to death of everything, you know. Um, I was self-destructing uh, that I didn't even realize. Like, I was asking for help in certain ways. I got, I couldn't hold a job, so I got, I got uh, arrested, and I got put on probation from stealing from Walmart. Um, I was the third time I was in Walmart that, that morning and they, they caught me and I had some dope on me and they, they said, Hey, we want to bring you in back. They said, we've been following you for three months. And I go, I know they go, we've been trying to catch you. What have you been doing? I go, you know, and I just, I lied about it. I said, you know, I've been, I've been stealing to support my family. And so I've been stealing and I've been going out and I've been selling, selling, uh, stolen goods to get diapers and stuff like that. So they got me for transporting stolen goods. I was right. like, you know, we think we're really smart, but then we're like, Oh, you know, but um, <laughs> and you give had, them something to charge you with. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then they had two. They had two shopping carts full of empty packages. Oh wow! And they had me go through them, and I picked all of the ones I did, except there was probably like five things. I'm like, I didn't steal those, but all of those. So they charged me with that. They put me on probation. The act, and then the accident. I would, you know, the accident had happened. So my probation officer started going to probation office. They started, you know, giving me UAs. I talked my way out of UAs. I mean, I was so messed up and I would go in there and I'd cry to my probation officer and just I would talk to her for like a half an hour about how bad my life was and how I couldn't afford the UAs. So she, for like a whole year, I was on probation and getting out of UAs every month. It was crazy. Wow. <laughs> uh, then I, you know, um, uh, November 3rd, or it's either 3rd or 8th, uh, I got pulled over. I finally got a job, a little bit of job with my brother and I, I, I got paid that day. And I was, you know, I was always about, you know, it was always about the hustle for me. You know, the, I think I was more addicted to the lifestyle. Yeah, that's what I've heard that. It's true. I mean, I, I and the reason I know that is in the recovery, like right. the thought process. But I actually, um, I, I went and I scored some dope and I was going to double up. It was always about doubling up. That was another thing is I had this thing with gambling. I was kicked out of, I was kicked out of the, the casino for stealing somebody's nickels. And I still would, <laughs> I would go in there and I'd go in there high and I'd hide and I'd put a sweatshirt on. It's still like the, the stupid shit I was doing, you know, and, uh. Stealing uh, home invasions. I don't want to get into too much of it because we're on tape now. But there's a lot of stuff that I did that I'm really not proud of. I mean, just just by getting, I love my kids, you know, and just by getting my pregnant wife high, like that's something I carry with me. Right. The person that died in my accident, yeah, I, I wasn't high at the time, but that's something I carry with me because Absolutely. if I wasn't getting high, it was in my if I wasn't doing what I was doing, then it wouldn't have happened. Right. You know, what I mean, I wouldn't have been there, and. Um, so I'm going, so about, wait, I, I kind of, I kind of missed some things. There's so much. So back in 2003, 
right before I got arrested at Walmart, they grand jury indicted me for manslaughter. Oh, ooh. So the, so 11, so the accident came back on you. Yeah, actually, it was a little bit before that. 11 months after the accident, they grand jury indicted me with my, uh, I was borrowing my, my landlord's uh, truck and he kept complaining like, what are they going to do about my truck? Blah, blah, blah. So they grand jury indicted me on um, his word that I told him I was doing 75 and a 25. So they did a re, uh, reconstruction and they, they found out I was doing 45 to 50 and a 25. So they grand jury indicted me for manslaughter. So now I'm going to court. So then I start using even more because I'm going to court and people are telling me, oh, you're going to do life. You're going to do 14 years, blah, blah, blah. So now I'm using even more. I'm stealing. I can't hold a job. Things are getting worse. Um, and then in, uh, so I'm on probation. I'm telling her this stuff. I'm going to, going to court. I'm, I'm cleaning up. It's so funny. I would clean up. I cu cut my hair. I always had long hair. So I cut my hair and I, I wear a suit and I go to court and I was just spun. And I was like, oh, nobody can see me. Like, you know, nobody, like I thought it was so, you know, like looking at it now, like when people are spun, it's so obvious, obvious. Like, to me. I'm like, <laughs> Especially oh my God. Especially to us. Yeah. Well, it probably, probably is to the judge. Too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because they've going, seen it. Yeah. Like, what's this guy doing? You know? <laughs> and uh, so I'm doing this stuff. I had, I, you know, and, and in November that day, I, I went and I, I doubled up and I think I, I must have, I started getting high and I think I had somebody else's car and I had, I had been to jail many times it, it started going more and more and more and i was at at that point i had no license i had a suspended license i had you know all this stuff going on i was on probation i'm and you know i got this this grand jury indictment for manslaughter i'm going to court for and i'm just a wreck and um i got I, you know i started getting high and i started doing the thing i was doing i was trying to come up and i went went and got rid of some and came up and i had all this stuff and i, I think i robbed maybe 13 places that day and uh, I'm in somebody else's car and they pulled me over for a broken taillight. They got me with 11 felonies that night. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And you know, that it saved my life. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I've I don't heard that know. A lot. I don't know. I was so mad. Like, you know, I was so upset and, uh, looking back on it, like I've, I've had an opportunity to thank that, that police officer that did that, you know? And, uh, so I, they've thrown me in jail it's funny because I called the first time I called my grandma up, you know, oh, this is going on. I need bailed out. And she's like, I'm not bailing you out. <laughs> you know? And, wow. And so I'm in jail and I'm, you know, it takes me, jail was always a vacation for me. You know, I got to get a little bit of, you know, clarity. And, but the thing is, is every time I was in jail, I would talk to all the jailhouse lawyers. I'd figure, figure out how they got caught and I was going to do things different. I was right. going to get out and they weren't going to catch me and I was going to do this or do that. And I was just so like, I'm going to do this, you know? And, you know, never really happened, but. So I'm in there. I sleep for seven days. Um, I think I actually got I w got in there with some dope or something. So I, I don't even know. Um, and my probation officer comes. So I'm talking to jailhouse lawyers and they're talking to me about pretrial release. So the probation officer comes and she's talking to me and I'm like, you know, I think I'm really I think I'm really a good good fit for pretrial release. You know, and I'm you know, I'm all being I don't know. I think I don't even know if I was arrogant. I don't even, I don't think I was egotistical. I think I was really in denial. Like looking back on it, I just really didn't understand. Like I really thought, I told her, I said, I'm a good person. I said, my my family needs me out there. I got to go. I wasn't supplying for my family. I hadn't been home for weeks at a time. I wasn't even paying the rent. Like what my family needed was me gone. And I was just like, I need to be there. I need to do this. And like, I was a horrible example for my children. I was getting my pregnant wife high. And I, and I really believed I was a good person and I needed to be out. You know, that I was going to put my life back together. And she was laughing at me. She was so upset and she started laughing at me. I'm like, what the hell is this BI laughing at? You know, but I realized it looking back, like, 
I have been bullshitting her this whole time, you know, and here I am and I'm trying to do it again. And so anyway, she didn't get, let me out. They wanted to give me the public, uh, the, the district attorney wanted to give me 28 years. Wow. Um, yeah, my, uh, and at that time I really had burnt most of my bridges. I mean, my wife wouldn't even, I got a character reference letter from my mom. Thank God for my mom. And I got a character reference letter from my grandpa. And I think God, whatever God is to anybody, universe, whatever, uh, my higher power intervened. And I was given, uh, I took a plea agreement for five years. Um, they let me out to see my, they let me out on a 24 hour to furlough. I had, I think I was in there for four months. I got out, released on a 24 hour furlough to see my youngest son be born. <clears throat> and I went and I cut the umbilical cord and I went and got high. I just didn't even know, you know, I didn't even know. And I, 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 I look at that today and it's like, wow. And I felt horrible doing it. Like I was out there trying to score and here I got this son. I know I'm going to be going to jail to prison for five years. You know what I mean? And it's like, I couldn't help myself. So I went and did my time. Um, you know, I had some charges. So I went on, I started on a four yard, which is a pretty heavy yard. And, uh, that was an eye opener. I, I went in there complaining cause I was always the victim. And they told me if I talked about my time again, they'd kill me. Uh, they probably I, meant it. No, they did. There was, I think there were 16 woods on that yard and most of them were doing life. 10 of them yep. were doing life. And I'm sitting there talking about five years and, uh, I've seen some rough stuff on that. You know, I learned, I learned a lot of discipline there. I learned a lot of respect. I mean, I, I seen, you know, somebody get stabbed 80 times in front of me. I mean, I, there was some rough stuff, you know, and I, I, I really did a lot of reflecting. I, I hard timed it for the first two and a half years. I was on that yard. Um, I was just mis I was, you know, miserable. So, but I got a lot of time and I would, I would stay clean. You know, I'd stay clean for, I don't know, months or whatever. And most of the time is because I couldn't afford it. You know what I mean? So anyways, they put me down to a lower level. I went out on this work crew. I ended up hooking up with some guy. I started bringing in dope onto the yard. Everything's changed. I started using again. And, uh, I remember sitting in there and people were getting smashed because of what I was doing. And I remember being so sick and tired. Like I was just like, you know, I'd been up all night writing some letter to somebody that wasn't my wife. Um, and I was just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I really was like, I, I just, and I didn't know, like, I didn't know. I, and I knew I was a good person. I knew I wanted to be a good father. I knew that I was like, what happened to my life? Like what has happened to my life? Like, you know, I started using because people accepted me because it made me feel, I didn't know, you know what I mean? I talked to the children about that. When I do go into schools, it's like, you know, um, I don't say that using is bad or anything like that, or, you know, I'm not this, you know, it's like, Hey, this is my story. Right. And, and, you know, so what I try to do is be an example to the kids and say, you're awesome. You know, I've right. told, I've broken the chains of addiction in my children's life, but we'll get to that. But anyways, um, so I did my time and I, I was so sick and tired. And I went, and I asked uh, a friend of mine, I told him what was going on and he said, okay, we're going to skin it off. So, you know, that means if I used it again, he was going to smash me. So we did that and I stayed clean for the last year. I was in prison. I call it white knuckling it. Yeah. I had no recovery. Right. One of the things my grandpa, my grandma kept sending me big books and stuff and she nice. sent me as Bill sees it, you know, and I would read everything else, but I wouldn't read those, you know, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but she sent me that little black book. Yep. You know, uh, the just the 24 hours a day yep. book. Yep. And that that book I started reading every day. And I, I started building a relationship slowly with with a higher power. And I read that book every day. And I remember the last six months of my of my time in there, 
I cried every morning. I woke up with nightmares because I knew that when I got out, I wasn't gonna be able to stay clean. Like I'd never, I'd never had a job clean. I'd never raised my kids clean. I'd never done anything clean. My wife at the time was using, like, what was I gonna do? You know, I was screwed, but I kept reading that book every day. Um, when I got out, I got out uh, 2008, February, 2008. And I got out and uh, my grandparents, by the grace of God, let me, they built, they let me move into their shed in Cornville. So I'm, I don't even know, like I have recovery homes now, but I don't even know if it would have worked for me. You know what I mean? Right. I understand that some people need it, but I think me, I probably, some, you know, divine intervention, I think that things happen for a reason. And, and I know that sometimes it's hard for me still, like going through a breakup or a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one. But looking back on everything, even that accident, like I remember I was on my fourth fourth step and I remember telling my sponsor that I'm grateful for that. And he was like, what? And I'm like, you know, because the, it was funny because she was a school, she was a pillar of the town. She was a school teacher. But the family said, you know what? She, her, a month before that, her husband had died. They were like, she, she wanted to go. She missed him. You know what I mean? And, and that doesn't justify what happened. But I understand that it was a part of what, what God put in to, to get me clean so I could be, have my purpose. Because I have a purpose today. I'm a yes. soldier. I'm a missionary. Yes. I have a mission today. I know that. And sometimes that's hard. Yes. So I got out. I moved into the shed. Um, they put me on dual supervision, intense probation and parole, which I don't even know. If, I, I still don't even know how they did that. But and I was a victim again, and I'm I'm out, and I'm, and I'm and they're going, you know, you you got two hours of free time a week, you know, and you got to do this schedule and everything else. And they said you can do, you can go to meetings, and I'm like, oh, I, I can. They didn't make me go to meetings. They said, yeah. And my my grandma, my grandpa took me to an AA meeting that first night out, and it saved my life. Yep. I, I can't I I can't say enough, and I don't know. I mean, I went to that meeting, and a couple things happened. You know, I got hope that I had hope, and hope is the you know, the opposite of despair. And despair is the utter destruction of hope. There's no, I never had hope that I could do anything better. I thought I was a mason and a drug addict and these were the cards they were giving me and that was it. I had no idea. So I went to that meeting. I seen a guy that I had, I knew him on the streets. I'd been in county with him. I'd been on the yard with him and he was there at the meeting. He said he had a year and a half clean. I said, shit, if this guy could do it, right? maybe I could do it. You know, I listened to the story of this girl and she was kind of cute. I got a couple of numbers from some girls. I was like, Oh man, this is happening. You know what I mean? And they, and a couple people told me to come back. You they know? did. Yeah, yeah. They let like, you yeah, come back. Yeah, they're like, yeah, good seeing you. We love you. You know. And I started coming back, and it was one of the only things I could do. And they started telling me, "Hey, we'll love you till you can love yourself." And and I remember, I remember going to meetings early, and I was just like, I would go home and I'd talk smack about them and be like, "Oh yeah," because they would talk about things like, you know, I'm never going to use again. I was like, that's not my story. I want to just get off probation. Like I'm not, right. you know, I don't want to use meth. <laughs> yeah, you know? but I want to do this. Well, yeah, I'm going to, you know, that. I've never had a problem with alcohol or, I'm, you know, right? I'm going to smoke some weed. Or, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, still illusions that we have. You right. Know? And I just kept going back and I, you know, I finally, I got in a, I got in a relationship and uh, I started working. I started working. So this has to go into this. I don't know how much time I have, um, but I just have a good 18 minutes. That's it. Oh, crap. So see, <laughs> so I started, I started working and I, I started getting back in my trade. I was doing masonry and I was just going to be, I was going to start my own business. I was clean. I was doing really good. I mean, within three months I was, I was getting my own insurance. I was making 20 bucks an hour. I was like, you know, I'd arrive on the weekends. Uh, my kids were in permanent guardianship. I tried to put my family back together. 
three days after um, my my ex-wife stayed clean for three days and she came over with a big bottle of meth. And I and that's one of those times where I finally turned left instead of right. I'd always done the easiest thing. And I finally said, you know, you got to go. And it was so hard for me, you know, because I right. just wanted my family. I just wanted to be a good father and a good family. I always wanted that. I just didn't know how. Nobody ever taught me that. Right. Nobody ever exactly. taught me that shit, you know. So she left and my, 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 she had been in trouble. So my three children were in permanent guardianship with her parents. So um, they started letting me see my children on the weekends and I was working, I was saving money, I was doing the deal. I was like, you know, I was finally honest. Everything I had, I had actually like, you know, I'd never, I, I earned, <laughs> you know, which is a big thing. So I'm, I'm doing all this, I got injured on the job. Uh, and I blew out my knee and they actually, since I was clean, workman's cop actually took care of me, took me on, put me through school. I did all these tests in school. They all said, said I should be a social worker. I said, I'm not doing that shit. You know, that's my free recovery, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a, you know, and it's all about money for me. And you know how it is. I mean, yeah. well, I, I mean, I'm like, well, how can I make money? So I'm going to be a, a, all of a sudden I'm going to do technology. I'm going to do computers. I had no idea. My first cell phone was when I got out of prison. I had no, you should have seen me. I was. I the T9. I'm still like you know, that now. I'm texting her like, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, so and I, I was just, I'm just so above and beyond with so many things. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. So I go to school. I go back to college. And I get this degree in computers. And not only did I get a degree, I was so scared to go back. I thought it was stupid. I got 3.96 grade point average. I got all, the all USA Today Arizona Academic Team Scholarship where they gave me a scholarship to get my bachelor's at NAU. They, I've got all kinds of awards, scholarships. I'm doing this thing. I get involved with Matt Force. I'm a re-entry coach. I'm going to meetings. I'm going around. I'm recovery Rambo. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like seriously, like, I mean, you know, you guys, you know, I'm going around. I've got 10 service commitments. I'm all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm two years on the RCM. I'm, I'm public information chair. I'm going in there and talking to the judges. I'm going into jails. I get an H&I commitment. They let me back into the jail. I'm like, you know, all this stuff. And it's so funny because my going to jail, this is a great story. So, like, I go into jail and share my story. Well, the COVID stopped that. But I would go right. once a month for, for NA. I'd go in there and and they would talk about And I would tell them because I helped build that jail. I oh, helped, wow. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. So, I helped build oh, that jail. that's right. I helped build that jail. I put the steel in there. I actually left some some slots. So, if I got <laughs> ever got caught, I was going to, like, chisel out of there, do some Alcatraz shit, you know, and... Like I, I tell the story and I go in there and then all of a sudden I'm locked up in there and they're still building it. And I look at my friends. I'm like, Hey, I need out of here. I got this little window and they're like, fuck you. Ha ha. Laughing and shit. <laughs> and I'm like, so, and then, and then I, me go back into the jail and then let me out. They let you out. I mean, you know, so now I go in there and I, I, I give these, I give hope to these people, you know? Right. I mean, they let me out of there. I get to go home. Yep. You know what I mean? I tell them if I could do it, cause I mean, if I could do it. And I mean, I left a lot of stuff out. You know, if I could do it, anybody could do it. So I go, I get, I'm going to school. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm going to be this whole, I start this, <laughs> I make this card. I'm a technology addict and I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, make all this money and all this stuff. And I'm going through this. My, my wife, three months after I get out of prison, she gets arrested and busted with my kids and she goes and does five, five and a half years. So now I'm, I'm on this journey of trying to get my children back. And they said, when I had my own, I got my own place, I create all these rooms. Her parents said I could have my kids back. I went, I'm like, I'm ready to get my kids back full time. And they said, nope, you're gonna have to take us to court. So all of a sudden I got to go to court. So for three years, I go to court to get my children back. They told me, DES told me that I would never get my children back. That it would take a tornado or a hurricane to get my children back. 
I was my own attorney. I put nine people on the stand. I got 41 character reference letters. I'm in there. I'm like, you know, doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, attorney Rambo too. You know what I mean? Hurricane Damien. Yeah. Hur yeah you're going to see a hurricane. Don't tell me <laughs> what you can't do. And, uh, and then I'm, I'm sitting there at night sometimes and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, how am I going to be a father? Like I was so scared, but in my heart, like there's that, there's that journey from your heart to, from your head to your heart. Yes. I always talk about that. Yeah. Mine doesn't always coincide, but well, you know. The, for me, so a want and a desire is different. Right. So one is my head. Like I, I, I want. I don't. I don't want to deal with my kids, but I desire to be a father. Right. You know, I desire that. You know, I might want a certain looking relationship, but what I desire is somebody that I can actually spend my time with. I right. might want a certain looking house. What I desire is somewhere where I can feel comfortable. And call right. Home. You know what I mean? So I got to get out of that head. You know, because that head's like dangerous. So, anyways, I'm I'm doing all this stuff. I'm I'm going to court. I, I finally get my children back. Uh, let's see. At that time, I don't even know. There's so much I'm leaving out. Um, at that time, I meet somebody. I meet uh, my my current ex-wife. <laughs> so I got divorced. I meet uh, this lady. She's a paramedic. She's going to meetings, and I meet her, and we start hanging out. And we end up. She ends up buying a house, and my kids and my me move in with her, and uh, we build a life. And you know, one of the things we talked about is these recovery homes. Like, why, why do we get, why do we recover and other people are relapsing all the time? And we look at these homes and these homes, these halfway houses, man, they hit, you know, they had bed bugs and there was, no, and what we, we thought, well, what, shit, if we could start a place, you know what I mean? We would make it different. Right. So chapter five at the time was, was the only really good, good place in Cottonwood. And, uh, they closed down so you know and i and i see after years so in in so i'm a little codependent too i got a few issues so i've been in the coda program doing steps in coda program for uh 12 years now so i have um i'm coming up in december i'll have 16 years clean uh yeah Yay, i have you know i have 15 years out of prison uh haven't got arrested haven't done so wow. that's a lot uh, so we, her and I started talking and, and she said, you know, go, go down. This, there's this place for rent in Old Town Cottonwood. So I go down there and I talk to the guy and I know the guy. So all these things are hitting like three or four people a day. I'm talking to in college at the at wherever it is about recovery, about weird. Like there's this mission going on. And I'm like, why am I like, I don't want all this. You know what I mean? But I'm, I'm put in positions. You know what I mean? So I go down there. I talk to him. There's somebody I know. I told him our idea. He goes, yeah, cool. He worked with us. We took three credit cards. She had good credit. Took three credit cards and we just filled the house. We put a uh, we put a curriculum together based after Chapter Five's uh, structured sober living, and we took out some stuff and we added a whole bunch of stuff. And what we added was the main thing we added was well, first of all, we got right with like Azra and places like that. We wanted to raise the bar in recovery homes. We wanted a quality program. We 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 wanted to do it for that right reason. And the thing I know now, nine years later, because August was nine years. Yes, it was. Um, is that. I know why people do the minimum. <laughs> right. Like, like, I get it. Now. It's a lot. Like, I get it. I know why people just say, hey, here's a house. You know what I mean? Like, there you go. It's hard. What's well, not just hard? People are entitled. They're disrespectful. They're, yep. you know, people, I should say us. Yes. You know, I mean, it's like. We are. It's a lot of work. And there's so many variables that go into somebody's life. Yes. Each individual person has different circumstances that happen. And it's like, how do you create a whole person? Yes. Holy shit. You know? It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Plus, you got to work on your own recovery. Then you got to yep. get funding. And it was like, so we opened this place. And we called it Steps to Recovery Homes. 
And we want like steps to recovery, but steps to recovery was taken. It was in place in Philadelphia or something was taken. So we it was going to be home. So we put the homes on it, and uh, we opened it up and we we added like life coaching every day was one of the things. So we added life coaching, and what we would do is every day we would do stuff on. Uh, we would have them. They had to go to a life coach. They had to do a lot. We made it very structured. They had to get a sponsor. They had to not, you know, they had to work with the sponsor once a week. They had to get a service commitment. Everything around our recovery. We took right. our recovery. We made an example-driven program. Everything we did. How how can we, why do we have this? They had to do four hours of service a week for a nonprofit organization. They had to get a sponsor, get a home group, get a service position. They had to write a schedule. The schedule came from me from like intense probation, you know. Right. Um, we did house meetings. We did, actually, I did a lot of meetings. We actually... Did breathalyzers all the time, UAs all the time to hold people accountable. We had them get a job, and it just grew. And you know, I we, we were doing uh, life coaching on budgeting, uh, career career development, career skills, uh, finances, uh, health and wellness. How do you get a doctor? What do you do? Um, priority setting. There was just a whole bunch of stuff we were doing. And then we started, and then we were like, "How are we going to do this?" Because all the people that come to us had no money. So I was like, me and a friend sat down and we put together a nonprofit. We had no idea what we were doing. We, we spent two hours a week for four months. And we, we, two hours a week, we had a set time. And we would put this thing together. And in four months, we submitted it. They told us to take us here. Two months, we had our nonprofit. Started. Nice. It was crazy. And then I was like, oh, all my friends in recovery, like, you know, I've been public information chair. I've been, you know, H&I, I've done activities. I've been website chair. I got been the speaker coordinator for meetings. I started meetings. I mean, I've done, you know, I had relationships with everybody from that. So I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be great. And everybody's going to start giving me this money and they're going to write grants and we're going to save the world. And that none of that shit happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, all it happened, I had all kinds of all kinds of stuff. So I'm in college. I'm going to college now. I'm running two houses. You know, she's a full time pedomatic. Then one of the girls that went through went through the house had a baby, and she couldn't take care of the baby, so she took on the baby. So I'm running around. I'm running both houses. I'm in college. I got this little Native American girl that I'm running around. And then she got a little dog. Then I got this dog. You should have seen me, bad boy. I'm running here and there, and I'm just like, what the hell? And uh, what? What happened is people started donating uh, clothes and furniture, yes. clothes and furniture. And I'm like, what are we going to do with this? So I started doing yard sales. Yep. <laughs> we were doing bake sales, car washes, yard sales, and the yard sales would make us the most money. I'd make a thousand, two thousand dollars on a yard sale. I was like, this is great. I'm like, man, if I could just keep, cause I'm so OCD. So it'd take me hours to set it all up nice. <laughs> you know, I was like, man, if I could just keep this stuff out. So her son got out of the military and um, he had some money and he loaned us $5,000 and we started a Miracles Happen resale store. Right. So Miracles Happen was was like, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start this resale store. We're not going to call it a thrift store. We're going to call it a resale so we can be a little bit up and above because we, we want to, we're really anal about, you know, raising the bar on whatever, you know, making quality programs. Why not? Why, you know, right. it's just like us using, we don't half-ass, I don't no. go get a cut. You know what I mean? No, if I'm going to use some dope, I go to the best damn dope dealer, you know, and I can find. Yeah. Yep. So I put, you know, above and beyond. And I think that's my A-type personality. But anyways, we started Miracles Happen. And the good thing about Miracles Happen is it became a place, it became a hub. Nobody wanted to talk about addiction. They'll, they'll give money to the dogs. They'll give money to, you know, all these other things, you know. Uh, but when you talk about addiction or St. Jude's or whatever, when you talk about addiction, it's like, no, 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 no. Not in my right. backyard. You because know, they have a choice. Well, We're not, a lot of times, that's what we It's heard. because it's nasty. Yeah. It's, I, I understand it. See, that's the thing about me. I look at it and I, I don't know. I, I, I look at things different. And I think 
and maybe I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I didn't finish that story. Is my my grandpa was a, a channel. My my grandpa and my grandma were channels for <laughs> extraterrestrials my whole life. So there's been a lot more that you know. It, it's it goes deeper, but I think that I don't know. It's like I'm built a little bit different. I, I don't think I'm unique, but I think that we all have different qualities. Right. So for some reason, I look at things different, and it's like you know, I know that people. When you talk about addiction, they had their their nephew die. They had somebody rob them. They had, you know, these things. And it's a hard thing to talk about. And I know it's getting different. The stigma is getting, you know, the stigma is going away. The labels are going away. And they have to because it's a core issue. It's the core issue in, in, in our society. Right. It really is. It affects so much. It affects our taxpayer dollars. It affects our schools, our children. I mean, insurance, work, the work pool. Yeah. Emergency rooms, everything. I mean, it's crazy how bad it is. I mean, they talk about... There's 255 people a day dying of an opioid yep. overdose. Yep. That's not even numbers about alcohol. Alcohol no. is like, like, alcohol is so much more. Or how about people that actually overdose on meth? Or how about people that are not raising their children? Your grandparents are raising their children because they're locked up. Or how about people that get domestic violence or arguments or stealing or can't hold a job or all these things? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because With, you know what I found too is that the death certificate doesn't always really reflect what happens. Like I knew a girl who really overdosed on heroin and was in a car wreck. So her death certificate says internal injuries. How many of those are out there that something happened because they were high? Well, and you know, I've been on, I've been to a couple of the Yavapai County, the overdose review things. And, and, you know, there's a lot of that, that, um, I forgot, Paul, uh, they have different substances in there and then when they die, you know, so. Yep. Yep. It's just, but it's, su it's, it's such a, it's such yeah. a huge, and, and people talk about the drugs, like, oh, you could just quit using drugs. And it's like, you know, that's why I like Narcotics Anonymous personally, and I, I'm not trying to promote them, but you know, it's like, it's about addiction, you know, right. drugs. It doesn't matter what the substance is for me because I self-medicated. Uh, drugs were a solution for me, Donna. They were right. a solution. It's how I dealt with life and it quit right. working. Right. You know what I mean? It didn't matter if I didn't have alcohol or meth, I'd go get something else. Exactly. And if I didn't have, just like when I got clean, then it's all of a sudden it's women or it's work. Yep. I'm at work right or now. Exercise, or exercise. Or exercise. Or gambling. How many? Or food, 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 oh, yeah, food, yeah. food. Imagine having that. Process addiction. Imagine food. Right. <laughs> I'd be addicted to food. <laughs> yep. There's so many I'm addicted things. to cheese. I cannot, I, I don't even <laughs> My name's Damien. I'm a cheese addict. <laughs> it's the truth. I can't, I think about cheese all the time. I do. Yep. And I just, and, and what I know is like, I do, I, I can't, I can't, That's fantastic. I'm thinking about it now. I gotta go. You got cheese factory right no, here? You gotta, I just can't. Yeah, it's actually right down the street, you gotta, but they C have really meetings. good uh, cheesecake. C-H-A was it called yep. cheese, <laughs> cheese <laughs> but I mean, and it's like, you know, so I just lost 30 pounds again on Nutrisystem. I, I noticed that. Yeah. I lost 40 pounds again on Weight Watchers. So that's another thing is I believe that anything works. You know, there's all these splinter programs and this stuff. And it's like people say, oh, well, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Anything you put your damn mind into. That's will right. Work. That's right. I've lost 40 pounds on Weight Watchers with a bunch of old women. Yeah. So I know it works, you know. I know Nutrisystem works. I know AANACA. I know those. I know Smart Recovery can work. I know Church can work for people. You know, it's like there's all kinds of ways to 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 one goal. You know, and for that's me, improving it your it, life. It, it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you're. It's working for you. That's how I believe. Agreed. You know what I mean? Now me, I got a whole bunch of stuff, and I think it's because I'm so intense, and I got a whole bunch of stuff that I put into my own understanding of recovery and what my life is. But recovery for me today means making healthier decisions. Right. 
That's what it means. Yep. Bottom not for line, myself yeah. and for the people around me that I care about. And actually, not even that. I, just don't, I don't even have to care about them. Am I hurting the, the others? You know? So anyways, we got Miracles Happen. We're doing that. We're doing all this stuff. Miracles Happen was a great hub because people didn't want to talk about addiction, but people want furniture. People want clothes. So they would come in and they would see us and we, you know, all the addicts are in there. And then it created a place for job skills. Right. So now all of a sudden we move into, I'm starting to write some grants. I'm starting to do this and that. I'm moving and shaking. I go get sponsors. We have 48 businesses around here. They're right. sponsoring us and they're doing, and I'm always about trying to maximize the success rate of our clients. So now we're doing, we're doing equine therapy. Yep. You know, we're taking them kayaking. We're taking them Sedona Segwaying. We're taking them hiking. We're taking them camping. We're, we're doing all this stuff. We're getting them life coaching. We're, you know, we, we, we created a savings plan where we have their money. If they put money into it, we start filling up their apartments where they get out because we got a store down. So we start being able to furnish apartments when they move out. We start giving them clothes when they come in. Not only giving them clothes and, 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 and uh, furniture, but anybody else in the community that needs it. Because now right. we're getting donated. We're going around. We're picking up estate sales around the state. Yes. We're taking 10 or 12 people. We go down and we clean out a house in three or four hours. We got all this stuff. We're giving it to other nonprofits and we're doing this and we're creating and all this stuff. And it's like, it's so cool. You know, we, we got gym memberships, health and wellness is a big part. We got them bikes. We got all this stuff going on, bus passes, you know, all the things. I remember talking, this one guy was sponsoring and he was at another facility and he called me. He goes, Damien, they're kicking me out. And he had some other issues. And I go, why? What's going on? He goes, well, they said that I smell. I go, okay, well, what's going on with that? He goes, well, he goes, I, I, I can't wash my clothes. I haven't washed my clothes. I said, okay, wash your clothes. He goes, well, Damien, he goes, they have um, a washer and dryer, but it takes money. And I don't have any money. And I, I thought about that and it's like, okay. You know what I mean? So it's like shit like that, you know? Yep. So we have, we don't charge, we, we supply all the cleaning supplies. Yep. We supply, all they have to do is get their, their food, their, their clothes and their hygiene. And people donate hygiene because we're a nonprofit. Right. We have clothes. Same. Now with clothes, you know, plus I work with other nonprofits so they can go to three different thrift stores and try to get some clothes. Right. Clothes are a little tricky because of different sizes or whatever. Right. Uh, food, we've got five food banks in the, in the community that we take them to, we give them ride to meetings. We, we're making it easy, but we're also holding them accountable because right. this isn't a hand out program. It right. has to be a hand up. You know, right. you have to be accountable. So then we start this job development and then they can work, they can come in, they can work for two to eight weeks until they can actually, so we start building resumes with them. We start taking them and getting their IDs and social security cards and birth certificates. We start doing interviews with them, mock interviews. We get them comfortable. We start giving them because there's all kinds of barriers to employment that come with addiction, all kinds. Right. So when they're working with us, instead of just making them go get a job, and it's it's a, they don't have to work with us, but when they do want to do that, instead of making them just go get a job, all of a sudden they're around an, a healthy environment. So if they get anxiety or they get mad, we don't just fire them. Right. Or they don't just self-destruct. We pull them aside. But all this is so much work, and there's no funding. There's no funding right. for the little guy. There's no funding for us there on the right. street. They're on the front thing. They'll fund all kinds of stuff for MAT. Sorry, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna real quick. For they, they will. I the know. government, you know, they got this harm, and I get it. They don't understand it, right? You know, so they got all, and the money's going here and there and there. What about the people that you know? Because sober living, because there's a recovery plan in order to create a take a broken individual and create it to where they can have long term recovery. You need a recovery plan. You need detox, structured, clean, example driven, structured sober living. With tools, you know, you got to give them tools because if you don't, if you just put them in the bed, okay, there you are. Right. Welcome. They're where right. you've always been because it's your own thinking. Transitional living. Right. I mean, it should be an 18-month to, to two-year plan at least. Right. At least. 
Right. And it's such a key, it's such a key part because when they go in, they go stay with their old friends or they go stay with their parents or they go stay and they're not ready. And I'm not saying everybody needs it. Then they're right back. They're right back. And it's, and we I see, see that a time. lot too. We see that too. You know? you know, we're doing the full work around too. We open detox now. I heard that. And so then we have our seven residential facilities. So we have 406 beds residential that are almost always full. And then we have um, Pure Heart, which does some trauma nice, and stuff. Te- nice. EMDR, we have two therapists that do that now. So that's an outpatient trauma thing. We're doing Crossroads Aftercare Program. So the same as what you're talking about is what we're doing. And we have a place in Scottsdale. I love Crossroads. I know. I do. Every and- time I go there, I'm like, oh, my God. Especially <laughs> the first time I went and seen you, I was like, huh. You guys started little like us? Like this is Yes. <laughs> when I started there was 30 employees. Yeah. Now there's 300. I'm I'm telling you. I'm telling so, you. So, you know, you guys, you're out there, you're listening to this and Damien has given us a wonderful story of hope. I'm not okay? done. I still got more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. <laughs> I'm only halfway through the story. <laughs> Might have to do Damien part 2. Well, yeah. I mean, we can do that. Because we just opened an outpatient treatment center. We yep. just got a building. We got a building, a loan from the USDA to get our own building. Wow. We're everything under it. And We're they gave you the, the keys? Yeah. They gave, yeah, me. <laughs> you. Me. They yeah. gave you the they keys. They just gave us an award. Oh, yeah. We went yes. to Wisconsin. We got the Harold E. Hughes. Oh, my gosh. I wrote it down. I know I got it. It's there, about right? the rural communities. So it's uh, on behalf of the National Rural Alcohol and Drug Abuse Network. They gave us the Harold E. Hughes Award of Excellence for Exceptional Rural Program. So that is fantastic. So if you're in Cottonwood, and I know there's going to be people or Clarkdale or Cornville or actually anywhere in Arizona. Sedona, Jerome. Sedona, Jerome. (laughs) Or anywhere in Arizona. You know what? You have two amazing programs right here. You have Crossroads. You can look us up on thecrossroadsinc.org, 602-263-5200. Four two and Damien, where can they find you? Oh well, I don't know. I hide most of the time. <laughs> no, they can. Uh, if you look at steps to recoveryhomes dot org, you can find us. Perfect. Is there any phone number they can call? Yeah, nine two eight six four nine zero zero seven seven. So you guys, if you need help and you're out there and you're struggling, here's two amazing programs. If we can't help you, they will, and if they can't help you, we will. There's no reason for you to be out there feeling alone and out of touch because we're here. Damien's program is here. Reach out. If you want help, we'll get it for you. Damien, thank you so, so much for being here. That was an amazing story. It we'll always, have to have Damien part two. Yeah, it always, uh, you know, when people invite me places, I'm always like, yeah, that's a, are you sure? Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you so want me you. to come and still have the keys. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. And until next time. Thanks for listening to Recovery On Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation with your host, Donna Alexander. Join us next time as we continue our candid discussions about addiction and recovery. Listen 24-7 anytime to this or any of our shows online at starworldwidenetworks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.